Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. I'm so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, Music Masters Collective hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, Oteil Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of Upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available, but spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com backslash inside to learn more. Hey everyone and welcome to Inside the Musician's Brain. I'm your host, Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this is episode 10. This is actually going to be the final episode in the first season of the podcast, and I want to say a heartfelt thanks to everyone who's tuned in so far, and also to all my amazing guests this first season for sharing so much personal insight into how you all do what you do. It's been a great learning experience for everyone who's had the chance to listen, and absolutely for me as well, so thank you all. In this episode, I'm going to do a little wrap-up of this first season and also a preview of season two and all the cool things that we've got on tap. After that, I'm going to give you my picks for the top duster shows of the year so far from our first two legs of tour so that you can head over to Nugs and check those out. And then I've got a full-length interview with Tom Hamilton. You might know him from Joe Russo's Almost Dead, a.k.a. J-Rad or Ghostlight or possibly American Babies. He's a prolific and super interesting guy with tons of stuff to say about producing, songwriting, starting a band, and all kinds of other great stuff. So stick around for that. Quick note that Inside the Musician's Brain is brought to you by Osiris Media. Osiris is home to all kinds of great music-based podcasts, but there's a lot of great new and interesting stuff going on over there at Osiris, including Jam Just Happened. They've had one installment so far. This is a live event in front of a live audience, ticketed show that you can go check out in person or after the fact. The first one was hosted by Scott Metzger, improvised music with all kinds of great musicians. So check that out. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by EMG. You guys might know them as maker of high quality pickups for all kinds of different instruments. And they are making a great banjo pickup right now. They're actually making two. The one I'm using is called the ACB Barrel, and it just really sounds great feels great in a live environment you know it's hard to amplify the banjo but rob turner over at emg has come up with a great design really reliable literally never had a problem with this pickup over hundreds of shows easy to install and emg is just a really cool company all made in the usa 
family owned and operated since 1976. I loved getting to know these guys and work with them as well. If you have any pickup needs, acoustic or electric, EMG is where it's at. So check them out. Crazy to think that this is the last episode in the first season of the podcast. No one tells you how many episodes comprise a season, but for me, the number is 10, and that is primarily because trying to put this thing together while the dusters are heavy on tour in the first four months of the year has been a real challenge. Living week to week, grabbing interviews while I'm on the road, getting home, trying to edit them down, put these intros together. It's been a lot of work. Really something that I enjoy, but basically right now I'm going to hit pause, most likely come back I think sometime in May when the String Duster schedule kind of shifts more into festival summer mode and I'm only gone mostly on the weekends. And in the meantime, I'm going to bank interviews with some amazing guests and also try to just scheme up new and different things that we can do here on the pod. And I'd love to hear from you guys anything, questions, questions that you'd love to hear these guests tackle questions about the String Dusters world. Of course, I'm going to keep digging into that as we go and let you guys know how we do our thing. Best places to check in with me are on Instagram. You can follow me, Trad Plus, T-R-A-D-P-L-U-S. Shoot me a message there or leave a comment on any of the Inside the Musician's Brain related posts. And another great place to engage is on the String Dusters fan page on Facebook called Got Dusted. I'll be putting posts up there occasionally asking you guys what you're into. So hit me back and let me know. And shameless plug right here, if you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review, let the world know why we need more Inside the Musician's Brain, that would be huge. If you're digging the guests that I've had so far here in season one, I just went live with a playlist over on Spotify called Inside the Musician's Brain that has all kinds of great picks from all these great artists, including a lot of the music that we've discussed here on the podcast. So check that out and tune in there. And I've actually got a few other playlists that I'm cooking up right now, getting into some music discovery for season two, trying to hip you guys to new young artists, acoustic and otherwise, and I'll be sharing those as the pod rolls along and also breaking down what these artists are all about. I've got a new mobile rig, so I'm going to be out doing like a festival coverage thing, grabbing short interviews with artists there, getting their perspectives on music and life and everything in between. I'm going to try and write some music live in the intros, maybe solo, maybe with some of my duster bros and take you guys inside that process a step further hopefully releasing some new music here as well i've got a new trad plus album that's about ready to go so i'm going to try and drop some of that stuff here on the podcast you can check out my first album it's already up on spotify trad plus the album is called interference it's banjo melodies along with beats and analog synths strings electronic elements ambient vibes oteal burbridge plays bass on one track and there's lots more where that came from. The theme song, actually, to the podcast is one of those new Trad Plus tracks, the song that plays at the beginning and the end. So we got that to look forward to, as well as advice for young bands, breakdowns of studio gear, live gear, instruments, all kinds of good stuff coming your way in Season 2. Again, hit me with your questions, hit me with a review, and we'll keep this train rolling. All right, before we get to my interview with Tom, I want to get you guys some picks for my top shows of the year so far. 
We've been out on two legs of tour, one in January, one in February. And in my opinion, we've had really some of our best shows ever. And that's that's the way it should be for a band that hopefully is continuing to push the envelope as we are certainly trying to do. And that's not only for ourselves, but also for our fans, just keeping things fresh and mixing it up as we go along. So what does that mean to push the envelope in terms of string duster shows? Well, for us, it means more new music, more deep cuts, bringing back stuff from the past, taking songs that have been in the rotation for a while and mixing it up with those. So like adding jams or changing the arrangements, you know, we're all evolving as musicians, we're evolving as a band. And sometimes we find new and different, cooler ways to kind of bring these songs to life. And all these things come together via new kind of conceptual set lists. So lots of new transitional elements. And then we've also got some shows, including some of my top picks that I'm about to hit you with here in a second, that have reoccurring teases throughout the show or songs that start and then segue into a bunch of other music before returning to that song. Again, deep cuts, bust outs, all that good stuff. And the fun thing, the really engaging thing about continuing to push the envelope for us as musicians, and I know that this has been a theme throughout these first 10 episodes, is that it really requires you to stay present in the moment and stay present with the music. And that, of course, is a lesson that extends far outside of music. But if you can just be there on the ragged edge, listening, paying attention, not focusing just on what you're playing as an individual, but really getting that big picture, that perspective about what's happening with the whole, what's happening with the band, where is everyone trying to go? How can I be a part of that journey? How can I lend my voice to make the whole sound elevated and have the whole show come to life, band, audience together, that whole amazing thing? And if you want to check these shows out, just head over to nugs.com, search the String Dusters. Thanks to our amazing audio team, Drew Becker and Carol Miller. Everything's up there at Nugs. And Shout out to our whole amazing crew, Tony Hume, our tour manager, Tracy, our merch guru, Jason on the lights, again, Drew, Carol, and our beloved bus driver, Wynn. Thank you guys so much for what you do. All right, so from the first leg, I've got to go with San Francisco. That show was where we had all those shakedown teases and then ultimately busted out a great shakedown toward the end of the show, automatic dance party in the house that the Grateful Dead built. That was an awesome one. And then L.A. on the last night of tour, the sleeper show. We've had some great shows in L.A. We were at the Terragram Ballroom for the first time. We had a bunch of shows at the Troubadour leading up to this, and the place was electric. Like, you could just feel that energy coming from the crowd right up on stage. We were doing everything we could to give it back. That show really came to life. So San Fran and LA from the first leg. And on the second leg of tour, and there were a lot of great shows, but I remember in many, we had an Echoes of Goodbye, I believe, and the first set where we added a jam. That song has always been just a tight, like three minutes, just super fast bluegrass song that Jeremy wrote. And we added this jam that really elevated things toward the end. Andy Hall kind of takes the lead on that. And then Athens, that would be my last pick. The Georgia Theater, we had all those Pink Floyd teases. And then, of course, we had the Rapper's Delight, where yours truly 
threw down the first part of the verse and then handed it off to my man Tony Hume, our tour manager, who just crushed it in the Michael Jordan jersey, no less. That was awesome. So a couple picks for you from the first leg of tour. I'm actually about to head out to tour tomorrow night. This episode will air on March 10th, but just getting things done before I'm back on the road. We've got two more legs of tour to go. I'll make sure to hit you guys with my picks from those shows. But right now, I want to jump ahead to my interview with Tom Hamilton. Tom was actually the first guest that I've interviewed who I hadn't really hung with before we sat down to do this interview. He had a lot of really interesting things to say about producing music, the Ghostlight Project and how that came together, and then the story of J-Rad, which I was so curious to dig into. Like, how did this band come to be such a juggernaut? So here we go, Tom Hamilton. This is Inside the Musician's Brain, episode 10, coming to you from downtown Denver. And my guest today is an incredible singer, songwriter, guitar player, producer, and probably one of the most prolific cats I've encountered on our scene, Tom Hamilton. Great to meet you, brother. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is great. Glad you could do this. Ghostlight, of course, is at the Ogden tonight. Yeah. And um, hoping to make that show. I definitely... Got deep into your guys' stuff, like I was saying when I interviewed Holly. Great. That first record is just killer, man. Great work on all that. Thank you, man. Yeah. Now, you're a dude who's got a lot going on. Quite know? a few irons in the fire. Quite man. a few irons in the fire, and um, seems like you're really making it work. How do you keep all that in balance? You know, what are your priorities? I know you've got, you know, a few different projects that are really active, especially Ghostlight and J-Rad producing. You've got your new studio in Philly. Like, how do you make all this stuff work? You know, I don't. <laughs> uh, it's kind of the problem. I don't, you know. Um, you know, I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't believe in balance. What does that mean? Uh, the idea that I'm supposed to have like a regular life. You know. Yep. If I wanted that, I would have been a fucking accountant. Gotcha. You know, like that's not the way. That, you know, that's not the point. I, I, I think you're supposed to run yourself fucking ragged. I think you're supposed to stretch yourself out and push yourself and in theory, your coworkers uh, and your fan base and everybody just keep pushing and, and trying to do more and not so much as in quantity, but as in quality. Uh, so yeah, so I don't, I don't do balance. Uh, yeah. I just, I work until I have a fucking nervous breakdown and then I, <laughs> you know, and then I grow a beard like this and, uh, and, and sit in my house for a month and then I, lick my wounds and start it over again. Well, you know. the beard looks good, by the way. <laughs> and, the music, and the music sounds great, man. I, I got to say, I, you know, I've, this is actually, of all the guests I've had on the podcast, you're the first one who I've never actually really hung with. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. glad to, to meet you for one thing, but I also got a chance to really check out your music, man. There's just so much cool stuff there. Um, and, you know, like I was saying, the Ghostlight record, the production on that thing is amazing. And I'm curious to know, like, as far as your influences, you know, the people that you're checking out, because I know it's probably pretty eclectic. I hear a lot of great elements of, you know, rock, hooks, songwriting, but then there's this real strong component of 
production, you know, these cool ethereal vibes. And of course, everything sort of sewed together to bring these songs to life in a really seemingly deliberate way. What, what kind of stuff are you into? Like, what are your main influences? Uh, well, you know, as far as production goes, um, I, I'd say, I mean, I, I think my favorite producer is Jimmy Page. Like, I think the, I think the Led Zeppelin stuff is some of the, you know, I think that band and him particularly are, are, are very underrated as far as like their studio sounds their production that, you know, like the, the sound of fucking houses at a holy oh, yeah. or, you know, I mean that it's incredible. Yep. It's fucking incredible. For I, you sure. Know, I, I, and, and that's all Jimmy page, man. Like, yep, you know, he did, all, right. he did all that stuff. And, um, so, you know, he's a huge, huge influence on, on, you know, just the, I don't know, the taking virtuosity and making it have taste, you know? Yeah. You can, especially now it's very prevalent. You could take five of the biggest swing and dick players and what are they going to, you know, they can shred and do and like rip cool shit, but they're not going to write a song that's worth anything. You know, they're not going to write, write cashmere, you know, not gonna, <laughs> Amen. Yeah. you know, and like, and I think that there's, I think there's been a, uh, you know, continually been a disconnect between the, between ability and what you do with that ability, you know, uh, and, and you know, you could be the greatest guitar player in the world and I don't give a fuck. That's I, right. I no, that means nothing to me. Yeah. If you can't write a song, Yeah. you know, like I, it just, it, it's not, you know, like Hendrix, I, I, I grew up listening to Hendrix, but I, it never dawned on me until I was well into my twenties that like to look at him as a guitar player, you know, like, it was oh, always really? like, dude, listen to Axis Bold as Love, that yeah. record, the production on that shit. Yep is sideways fucking insane it's insanity what's yeah. going on in those records so what what about what about like some more current day stuff that you're into um yes uh production wise or just in general anything you know, i mean right now i'm like super into uh there's this band called big thief that's like the most crushing like just like knife in the chest you know type of of just beautiful songwriting. Um, the the main songwriter, I, I don't know her name actually. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say, but it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, what's what's the vibe? Like, what's what's the music like? It's soft and minimalist. Okay, uh, you know, but the she is an incredible songwriter that that feels on a level that like. You know that that is very uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable how vulnerable she is. Yeah, she's like you know I, that's like the most attractive shit to me. You know, big thief. Yeah, but like the out. band, you know, like the rhythm section, um, has like a sloppiness to it that is really interesting to me. It's like almost like uh, I shudder to say like the dead. You know, like there's like a there's just a, such a looseness to yeah, what's going sure. on, you know, but I mean, they don't, imp, there's not a jam, they don't jam, but I'm so like the, but the music's not polished to yeah, a point where yes, there's a, the vibe is, is sort of sucked out of it. There's a thing where it feels like it could fall apart at any moment type of thing, which I really love. Yeah. You know, like ever listen to Bonnie Prince, Billy. Oh yeah, man. He has a record called ease down the road, which is like, I think one of the best records ever made. And you can hear that, like he, you know, it, it was uh, Steve Albini produced it, and I don't know if it was Albini or if it was if it was Will Oldham who 
did the Dylan thing with it. It was like, you know, he got a bunch of people in a room, played them the song once and then hit record. Yep. You know, it was like, all right, here we go. So you, you it's all teetering on the edge of fucking just disaster. <laughs> and you and and there's a fucking beauty to that. You know, yeah. there's like this people taking extra care uh, listening extra hard because they don't know what's happening yep. next, you know, and you, and there, and it doesn't say there's no polishedness to it. There's no like, sure. this is my, Hey, hold on, man. I'm going to, I'm going to come with my part. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, fuck you and your part. Like yeah. what's happening in the moment. You know, that's and, right. And, that, that, that really speaks to, you know, it, I think producing is a very like case by case. Thing, yeah. Obviously. Oh, sure. Yeah. But if there's one thing that you need across the board, you know, and this is obviously probably just music in general. It's just, to be present in the moment. With yeah. What's will, going willing on. present participants is usually the, uh, you know, the, the fucking X factor. There, I like it. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and again, that, I mean, that's just, this is all personal taste, you know I mean? Like obviously there's the, you know, and I've gone through it. I've done it like the, you know, the, like the Sergeant pepper idea of like, you know, you can just kind of, or a Can't beach boy thing. It. Well, yeah. And just like, uh, just doing it, everything bit, bit by bit, you yeah. know, like, um, yeah. I have an American babies record, uh, the second one, uh, flawed logic. And it's like, most of the record is, is that it's like everything was done in pieces. Like maybe yeah. if, you know, I mean, a lot of it, I played drums on, but like if there are other drummers, it was probably tracked as like just guitar and drums or sure. maybe the trio of, you know, with a bass and then everything else is just you know, piled on. Yeah. Like it's and, a, and know. for those of you guys who don't know, you know, just for a little context and I love the story of Sergeant Peppers, you know, is the Beatles had just come to the end of, and not, I don't know if many people know this, but only toured for six years. Yep. And then they go in and they make Sergeant Peppers. License to kill. Dude. And it was like you know. their sort of rebellion against the touring thing, which, you know, the reality for them was that technology of playing these big stadiums and PAs, it wasn't there and they weren't yeah. into it. And they go in and they make Sergeant Peppers, you know, hailed as one of the greatest records of all time that really sort of brought this concept of the studio as, as an instrument, instrument 100%, yeah. to life. And, you know, it, it's amazing because everything falls on this spectrum. You know, I had Dave Simonette from Trampled by Turtles on the last episode, and he's very raw songwriter. They go in, learn the tune on the spot, boom, two, three takes, done. Yeah, great. And again, present with the music is what brings it to life, yeah. but there's all manner. At the other end of the spectrum, there's this idea that in the studio these days, you can go fucking anything nuts, is possible. You know? And, you know, so I feel like my personal thing, uh, you know, uh, when I first got into production, I was way into that idea, the Beatle thing and like the, and just creating, and I still am to an extent. I mean, the Ghostlight record is not a, a reproducible thing in certain aspects. You know? Do you guys do a lot of layering when you were in the studio for that? We did the, we did, we did the five of us in a room. Just set up in a circle in at Rittenhouse, the place you guys were. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, in we Philly. Just, we, yeah, we set up in a circle and tracked everything live. And then went back and did the like bells and whistles shit. We did the, yeah, you know, we had the horn section come in. We have, um, you know, a percussionist come in and just do all the crazy, like, yeah. you know, like, uh, like Keep Your Hands Yourself has all those like awesome percussion tracks in there. It's like a fucking Michael Jackson track or something. Yeah. You know? um, so, you know, we did, we did do some things there, but that was like a, there was a vision behind that, like like before we even started you know, recording of like, it was like, uh, you know, I I was super, I got super back into like grunge music. I was like really killing like, you know, Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and, oh, yeah. and a lot of Alice in Chains. And uh, 
And I wanted to make a record like that, that wasn't reliant on a distorted guitar. You know, it's like, okay, well, what if you take uh, a Soundgarden record and you make Sufjan Stevens play it? <laughs> that was the idea. I'd love to find out. <laughs> well, that's kind of what the Ghostly <laughs> record yeah. is supposed to be, you know? Cool. So you have all this, these, like, riffs, these heavy riffs and yeah. cool, like, things happening. But instead of it being, like, these, like, fuzzed-out guitars, it's a fucking clarinet and a flute. Sure. You know, playing, playing lines or, you, yeah. know, like, you know, like, whatever. Uh, you know, instead of, like, a ripping guitar solo, there's just a... F- you know, a fucking baritone sax that sounds like it's falling down the steps. You yeah, know, uh, the textures on that record are so lush. Yeah. And there's tracks that, um, the first one, Elegy. Yeah. And then I love that track, Isosceles. Yeah, that's my favorite one. On oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We talked for What a great track. It's a, moody, a moody number. It's a moody number, but it it's uh I think it like you were just saying, you know, it's like there's an edge to it. Obviously the music has all this presence and the great writing, but there's an edge to it, but it's like a soft edge kind of. It's like sure. you know, it, it's it's got just this really yeah, it's like production one oh one, man. It, you killed it on that Thank stuff. You. Yeah, really, really yeah, dig you it. Know. So I so back to the what we were going with with which was like so when I started out, I was way more into like the Beatle thing and this and like the that idea, um, but that was also fucking two thousand and two, you know, or something when I started doing this shit, which was the you know the beginning of like readily available digital recording. Mm-hmm. It's like all of a sudden you have ninety six tracks, you could which is basically unlimited tracks sure. to do whatever you want, you know. Whereas then the Beatles had four, you right, know, so they were going back yeah, over tape, ping pong, and, and yep. doing a thing. So you know, so I got way into the into like the whole idea of, of producing like that. And so my first band, Brothers Past, we we were like, you know, one of those like for early, super early bands doing the electronic thing, right? Um, and. The, you know, those, so we made a couple records and I, that I like cut my teeth on the production with that. And there was just a lot of overdubs and all that shit. And then the American baby stuff, as you heard is what it is. But, you know, I feel like it's, uh, there's a difference between using the studio as an instrument and using it as a crutch. You can just fake it. You can fix studio. it. Yeah. Okay. You know I mean? I like everything you is just fixable right and like, sure you know or and pristine and sure. to a, you know and like perfect there's perfection in music which is like what the fuck is that you right. know like why is every why why is why is there a click track why is that a thing that's yep. not you know that doesn't that doesn't do anything for anybody like if everything if just this, making shit sterile you know um yeah, bands don't have to be bands. They don't yeah. have to be good. Right. Have, you know, like the Beatles went in and made their first record in a day. Yeah. Just went in and played it and sung it live. That yep. was it. You know, like you were either good or you weren't, you know, and, and that has, that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. No, I, I hear that because, you know, in bluegrass, which is sort of definitely our native territory, yeah. perfection is a thing. 
you know, and playing clean and perfect and no mistakes. And I'm, I'm always encountering that, you know, when I'm producing like up and coming string bands, they think that recording in the studio is supposed to be this thing that's like different and better than when they play live. And I'm always like, no, you know, you got to have some perspective on the fact that the, the things that people are going to connect to in your music are often things that you get distracted from and don't see when you start to get focused on this, you know, perfection idea. Yeah. And then of course, with the way that the studio is these days, that further sort of tricks you and pushes you down that, that road and you yeah. get distracted from doing the thing that's really going to connect with people, which is just all that experience you have playing as a band, that sound, yeah. that, you know, that, that thing. So, uh, a buddy of mine, um, he, uh, he, he does a lot of live, uh, mixing, right? He like, he, uh, as far as like live records, it's like his specialty. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com switch. That's mintmobile.com switch. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. He, he, he did Fish for years. Uh, he, he, he currently does Bruce Springsteen. Who's that? Uh, his name's John Altschiller. Okay, cool. He's like my mentor. He's, he's like the, he, he's, who taught me how to be a producer and an engineer. Every record I've done since, since probably 2005, he's done something on it. Whether it was you know, he gotcha. mixed it or he recorded it or he mastered something. You know, he's just always, he's like my guy, you know? He does so. He does Springsteen, right? Uh, I, I was in a studio, and he's got a show pulled up that he was mixing, and I soloed. I start soloing things, 
soloing the guitars, soloing the drums. It's a fucking nightmare. The band sound, it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> They're terrible. They're terrible when you listen to them on their own. Right. You're like, this is dog shit. And then when you just let it go and you listen to the band, you're like, oh, no, never mind. That's Bruce fucking Springsteen in the E Street Band. Yeah. You know, like it's the whole, that's the thing that that's matters. Right. That's right. You know, the fact that, or the Stones is a great example of that. You know, the fact that, you know, one dude's pushing, another guy's pulling, you know, Charlie Watts is just back there holding it fucking down. You know, yeah. like the sloppiness is what makes it awesome. There's a perf- perfection is, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, so why would you make that a thing? And, 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 you know, I don't know. I feel like the, the records that last forever, like the things that are 50 years old that still people, you know, people are still listening to fucking Sergeant Pepper Amen. or, you know, or fucking Dark Side of the Moon, uh, you know, all those Zeppelin albums. Dude, you listen to Led Zeppelin. It's like a, those records are shit shows, you know, like since I've been loving you, you could hear the fucking squeak of the kick pedal. Or right. Or like, you know, the, the, you know, John Paul Jones fucks up the bass and they kept it because yeah. it, it's not about perfection. It's about performance. It's yeah. about that. Is that the take that when you listen to it, it makes every nerve ending in your fucking body feel like it's on fire. Right. That's what you're going to remember. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that's going to last for as long as we're, a, a, you know, a civilization, you know, people aren't going to remember perfection. Who the fuck cares about that? You know? So what, what do you, what do you feel like? I, I love all of this and couldn't agree more. How do you feel like when you're producing and you're working with bands, like what's the ticket to getting people in that zone? Oh man. I don't even really know. Uh, uh you know, I don't know, man. I, I communication, I think is like a, a, a you know early you know making the ghostlight record I think you know a lot of it was communication um and earning trust you know I mean that's the thing right when you're uh, when you're producing somebody they yeah. they have to trust you yeah, if not yeah, what's yeah, the yeah. point you know I produced a band I did this record and it was like you know I won't go into who it was but it was like uh, it was definitely like a very intense social situation as far as just like the band like their inner workings you know a lot of ego stroking gotta fucking you know whack off a bunch of dudes fucking brains just so like they feel like they're important you uh-huh. know, type of thing which is like fuck who wants to deal with this you know because that's kind of the opposite of everything you just right said. exactly <laughs> you know and like uh and getting getting them Get, you know, getting people like that to trust you is impossible because they all, everybody thinks they're the smartest guy in the room. And to trust your judgment about their music. Right. Well, this thing know, that they, is right. their baby. It's like, hey, you hired me. Right. I'm going to tell you what the deal is. If you'd want to listen to it, cool. And if you don't, that's also fine. It's your fucking song. It's your album. It's your whatever. But like, that's why I like, I mean, yeah, I'm not that super stoked on producing people that aren't my own bands anymore. Yeah. It's just like, well, don't hire me and bring me in and then not listen to me. What's the fucking point? Yeah. You know what I mean, like, you know, I'm always down for like, Hey, let's talk about it or whatever. But like, you know, and in terms of trusting you, just like your judgment, this is the take, right? This thing is, yeah, is good. Trust me. This is fucking great. Right. You know? Because they're getting 
more focused on that perfection yeah and they're thing. all the, and just themselves yeah you know? it's like sure it, not the whole yeah man ego's a fucking rough thing you know <laughs> it, 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 music's you know, got a lot though got a lot of yeah that. and it's just it sucks you know i mean man the best thing that ever fucking happened to me i, I in so i my first band was this band called brothers past and we were like i started it like right out of high school we were all a bunch of kids and and this is late nineties, you know, so it was like we're super into the dead and the almond brothers and fish and like, you know, all the hot shit that's going on at the time and and then uh I found a band called Stereo Lab. Ever hear Stereo Lab? I have, yeah. I fucking love that band. Cool. They're like one of my all time favorite bands and, and it blew my fucking mind. The idea that you can incorporate electronic music into pop music was like sure and 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 i don't mean that is in in like dance pop music but as in like great songwriting but also like incorporating like drum and bass you know sure sure. like or like house like deep house shit or like you know like this stuff that was like the underground electronic stuff and then taking that and applying it to songwriting Mm -hmm. it really it, it fucked me up and then so we so then we got super into the idea of of electronic music and and how to incorporate that in, into what we were doing and then you know and then it turned and then there was a at the time there's a bunch of other bands doing it you know like uh, we, that's when we met the disco biscuits those guys you know were doing the same thing but with like electronic music but combining it with like classical like prog and like whatever mm-hmm. you know and then like uh, compositional was, stuff exactly you, you produced a record for those guys i did i did yeah. a couple of records with those guys okay, and cool. uh, yeah they're great you know very good friends i you know i'm very fortunate to know those dudes um but like lake trout was a band you remember that band sure yeah fuck there was i don't think there was a better band in the scene still than lake trout i think they were the best fucking thing going um you know like that drum and bass stuff but mixed with like you know yeah. radiohead songwriting you know so it there was a lot of kindred spirits out there doing the same shit you know uh but what happens when you're a fucking guitar player and you're starting to like try to play house music or drum and bass shit there's no guitar <laughs> there's no fucking guitar and if there is it's certainly not playing a fucking guitar solo yeah you know it's a part of the whole yep if what's more important stroking your own shit or making the band and the vision the best it can be yeah you know and it you know it takes a second to knock your 20 year old ego down the steps a couple times so it doesn't get back up and then you then and then you know i had to like learn how to be not the dude you know and that's a that's a you know it's a tough pill to swallow as a guitar player and and what do you mean by that you mean just accepting this idea that you know your vision is more about the whole whole. and coming into that what's it's not about you. It's not about you. It's right. not fucking about you. Don't make it about you. Stop thinking about your fucking self. Yeah. For Ten goddamn minutes and think about the band and the the sound and the the finished product. Yeah. What is the most important thing that you're going for here? Yeah. To make it so people think you're a great guitar player? Or to make a piece of art that is gonna fucking last and yeah. that's gonna say something to somebody. And, and that extends even beyond music, you know, that's oh, for sure. And ethos you know, and, you know, and 100% and Grateful know, Dead come right to mind. You know, I mean, talk about the sound of the whole, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like, yeah, I mean, that was, well, I mean, that's a, 
that's a, a, a that's a little that's a different thing I think because that is that is you know five to six dudes with ego that are like we're all going to say it. Interesting. You okay. Know? Okay. Cool. Yeah. Like you know, like when you when you listen to that shit, you know, like there's nobody is nobody's sinking into a background there. You yeah. Know? Like everyone is everyone's a lead instrument in that band. Yeah. Which is, well, and I feel too. It kind of depends on what era. You're talking about really? a little bit, okay? You know, I mean, it, 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 you know, like Bill's always just doing whatever the fuck he wants to do back there, right? Mickey's hammering some weird shit probably at a time. Uh, you know, Phil is, you know, like he's dancing, he's dancing around it. You oh, know, he's, yeah. a, he's a string section, he's not yeah. bass. You know, he's the cellos and the fucking violas. You know, he's making his statement known. You know, sure. Bob is ducking and weaving and fucking coming out, jabbing you here and there, you know? And then obviously you got the fucking other guy out there doing his thing, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, like that was a, that's a very like, we're all coming at you type yeah. of thing, you know? Whereas an electronic music is, was is more of like a, there's like a, like a, like a film over it, you know? Okay. It's like, it's this one thing. It's a mood. You're listening to a mood. You're not listening to, to, players or individuals or even individual individual sure. instruments you're listening to a mood yeah no i know i know what you, you know? mean and i i guess yeah we kind of got started on that vibe of the whole around sort of that electronic stuff but i do you know it's like i feel like when especially when you go back and you hear them you know it's, i remember so interesting for me reading in phil's book about sort of when he thought you know it was like by the mid to late 70s in some way a part of that band had already kind of run its course. Yeah. And I think that's when they started to move more in this direction, like you say. And I agree, you know, there's a lot of very distinct personalities all pushing the envelope in their own little sphere. Yeah. But, you know, for a lot of the stuff that I love, especially when they get out, you know, and it's fun to like play the gnarly Grateful Dead jams from the early days, you know, it it, it was this moment in time of listening and togetherness that you know oh, maybe yeah maybe the music didn't always represent but um you no, know the, the end result was the same <clears throat> okay is what we're yeah. talking about but like but i but what how they went about it was like definitely just like hey man we're all fucking hammering this yeah thing. in terms of like how they produced structured viewed yeah. their own music okay um but anyway so back to the whole thing which was like so i, I got into this electronic music bullshit and it was it just humbled me, man, and it and it and it and it made me put that uh, you know get a lot of perspective and like really learn that the ego is it's it's just it's fucking toxic, man. It doesn't you know. I mean, a lot of LSD helped too. I'm sure, <laughs> but you know, it's like it is. It's a toxic thing, man. You know, it's like it doesn't matter. You know, there's nothing worse than being in a room when you're like mixing something, and then like you know, the drummer wants the drums louder, and the bass player wants the bass louder, and the keyboard player wants the keyboard. You know, you're just like, yeah, fucking shut up. Yeah, you know, like it, it's not about you. <laughs> yeah. be selfless. You yeah. know, like this art is, you know, it's art. Yeah, you know, you're doing it because it's cathartic for yourself, and if you're f really lucky it's cathartic for somebody else, you know, and it's for them, you know, like get yourself out of the fucking way. Yeah. Like, you know, no, it's that connection. Happen. I get it. And I hear that. So convincing people of that while you're producing. Okay. Is sure. Is the thing, you know, so like with like the ghost light thing, you know, like that band, we had never been in a room together until 
the you first hit the studio in yeah, until the That's day right. one of if hitting record. You know, the five of us had never been in a room. Now, had you guys shared songs leading into that, or was it like come together and this is the real advent moment? No, it was. We we I, I inched everybody into it. Like so, Rain and I wrote everything, or not everything. We wrote a lot of stuff together. Yeah, you know, we we lived we lived, still live together uh, in, in a uh, we have, I have a you know house in Philly, so I have like a small studio at home. So we would just like eat acid and write for fucking however long that lasts, you know, eight hours, <laughs> ten hours, and um, and we would just record the whole thing. So it's just like eight hours of just nonsense. <laughs> Your own little personal acid test. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We did that, you know, once or twice a week for three months, I guess, you know, and uh, and this is a precursor to Ghostlight. Yeah, this was okay. so. Uh, we'll, we'll, let's just do the Ghostlight story. So I please, I, I, I was doing American Babies um, and J Rad. And, um, and I had a, I had a band with Bob and Bill. Billy and the kids. No. Oh, no, no, no. Los Muertos. Okay. Okay. That's right. It was me and Bob, Bill, Dave Schools, and Jeff Comenti. And it was the shit. Great band, dude. Such a good band. Uh, so I'm in Mexico. We're playing this festival and, you know, I'm in a band with Bob fucking Weir. Bill Goddamn Kreutzman, you know, and uh, J Rad is fucking killing it at this point. You know, my life has been completely transformed over the last two years, and I was miserable. I was fucking miserable. Why? I just wasn't fulfilled. Okay, you know, and my uh, my manager was just like, "Dude, you're you're on a beach in a private resort in Mexico. You got your girlfriend and your and your." brother and your you know my manager who's a good friend of mine and and he's like you know you're in a band with fucking the grateful dead basically and you're fucking miserable you need to figure it the fuck out man you know so i you know and i was like yeah you know what i'm just gonna fucking blow up the american babies thing and start over so you were essentially unfulfilled by the music it wasn't well i mean like dude i love playing i mean I, don't give me i love the dead thing and all of course that stuff, but that's not my you know those aren't my songs sure. i didn't earn those songs you know like I look at that stuff, playing with those guys or the J-Rad thing, I owe them. You know, I owe that music. I owe those songs, man. Like, that stuff made me who I was throughout my entire life and has given me what I have now. I will serve that music as long as it wants me to serve it, you know? But I have no illusions that that shit is mine. I have no ownership of that music. That is, I did not... That does not belong to me, mm-hmm. you know. Like there, I, I definitely have met fucking people that play that music that think they're the fucking Grateful Dead, and it's like, no, dude, you're not, man. You know, like those dudes gave everything for us and for those songs. You know, I came in at the finish line. I was just like, I'll take it from here, boys. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like that's you know, and like super lucky, but like I would, I would never, ever think or act in a way where like I have pride in that music in the way that it's mine, you know, like, I get it. I, it, that is, you know, I work for that music. That's, you know, that is not that, that. So, so I, but, and I wanted, I need to have my own outlet. I need to have my own outlet of, of original music shit that I write, that I, you know, that I create my catalog that, you know, when I'm hopefully fucking Bob's age, uh, you know, I'm still playing and that people give a fuck about. You know, uh, and that wasn't really a thing that was happening. You know, like the, I wanted a band, 
you know, American Babies was supposed to be a band when it started. You know, it was me and Russo and my brother. Uh, the touring band had uh, Metzger was in it. Drywitz was in it sometimes. I mean, it was basically J-Rat, you know, mm-hmm, for a mm-hmm. while. Um, but then Joe got the further gig, you know, so he was out. You know, my brother was in the military. He got, he, he went to Afghanistan. He was out, you know. So then I, I was just, then it just turned into like a solo project. And every album I would, I would basically write and record most of the record by myself and then put a band together and then tour it, you know, and then every album I would flip the band pretty much. Mm. You know? That's not my thing. You know, as we talked about earlier, like I'm into a being egoless. I don't want it to be the Tom Hamilton show. I want it to be a band. I want it to be a thing that's greater than myself. And I didn't have that and it made me fucking miserable. So, you know, the, we were at the end of a, of the of an American Babies album cycle, and it was like, all right, I'm going to have to do an, an I'm going to have to either put together a new band and keep calling it American Babies and keep doing this fucking thing, or I could just start a new fucking band. You know, so Rain and I, uh, you know, I talked to her about it, and I was like, you know, what do you are you down to keep doing this and working together? And and you know, she she was da- she was in and uh, and. I just kind of, yeah, I was like, all right, Holly had been sitting in with us with American Babies here and there, and mm-hmm. we all got along. She, you know, me, she and I have a very great, uh, very good chemistry as far as like how we improvise. And, and great to see her, like, immer- it, her whole story is so interesting. Yeah, but just to in get, a band, have an album, not playing exactly. fucking fish songs, you know, yeah. like. And killing it. Yeah. She sounds incredible. Absolutely, you know. Um, and, you know, so I, I, and that was the thing. It was like, okay, like, you know, like she's a, an incredible talent. Uh, she should be doing more than playing fucking covers. And, you know, and I, I, I loved hanging out with her. So I was like, all right, well, hope, let's see if she'll fucking, you know, let's see if she'll want to do this. Uh, and then, you know, Scotty's Wang, I, I knew didn't have a gig and he was, uh, he, he had was recently moved to Philadelphia, which was pretty synergistic. And, uh, and the original bass player, this guy, Steve Lyons, uh, he's like one of my favorite musicians I've ever known. This guy's a monster. Just monster fucking, I mean, in general, musician, he could play everything very well, you know, uh, and he's a great producer. And he had just moved back to Philadelphia, you know, or no, he was in L.A., but I, I he was in Philly when I like thought of him anyway. And uh, so, yeah, just kind of like put the whole thing together and convinced them all to be in this band. And it was just like, look, I want to do this band. Uh, I, I, I have this manager. Um, I'm going to go after, you know, these people as far as like our, you know, our, our team. Uh, and I think, and this was probably in like the summer, you know, it was like June or something. I was like, you know, uh, I don't have any music, but it'll be good. You know, trust me because you know, all these people knew they've heard my songs. They've played my songs. They mm-hmm. like my songs. It's like, look, I, I'm not going to all of a sudden start writing shitty music. You know, like that's, that's going to be okay. And, you know, with what I had with J-Rad and the opportunity that it gave me, it's like, I'm going to use that to help this project go where it wants to go. You know, I mean, like, fortunately, I had a little more clout because all of a sudden, you know, I'm doing all this cool shit. Well, that's that's a that's an interesting part of it, because, you know, you guys have a really interesting story. I mean, you you've come out of the gates really hot. A lot of people already know who you are because I think a lot of you guys have already made a name for yourselves as individuals in some way. And you're sort of on the map and there's this vision, this energy that you're describing the desire to really create that band synergy. And I mean, you guys have only been a band for two years, two years. Our first show was like 
uh, like the middle of April of, of 2018, you know? Um, but you know, and that, I mean, that was the whole thing. It was like, look, man, trust me. I'm going to, we're going to write some great tunes. And, uh, so if everybody agrees, let's, we're going to meet in the studio, uh, the week after Thanksgiving, you know, so it gave us like four months basically. And I had no, I had no songs. I had nothing, you know? Um, and I gave that same pitch to a manager. I gave that same pitch to our agent. I get, you know, and, 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 and they bit for some reason, you know, I was like, look, I, I have an idea for a band. I don't have any songs, but it's going to be good. So yeah, so Rain and I locked ourselves in our house for fucking with a few months. And for me, it's like, look, man, this was going to be my third band. Uh, it's hard to have one band ever. Having a second one that doesn't sound like your first one is also difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, American Babies and Brothers Past, fortunately, were very different bands. Stepping up to the plate for a third time, I was just like, it was a daunting proposition it's like well how the fuck am i gonna have a th- another band that doesn't sound like the other two you know not to mention to get another project right. off the ground is... and not have it just fucking you know drop on the after the first step you know because it doesn't matter i mean it, of course it does matter how good you are but you still got to put in the time yeah and you still you, got to get out there there's no tour in, in this you know sort of music industry climate yeah, there's you, there's no replacement for that you know um, so yeah, so I, I, you know, I was kind of, kind of trying to figure out how to, how to do something different and, and get out of my own head. Uh, Reno is significantly younger and had, hadn't really exper- experimented very much with psychedelics. So it was like, and I hadn't eaten acid in 18 years. So I was like, well, you know what, man, I think if there's ever a reason <laughs> to try to reshuffle the deck, this is it, you know? So yeah, so we got in the, in the, in the studio we, and we tripped a bunch. We, we wrote probably 14 or 15 pieces of tunes, you know? Leading into the sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so we had, you know, that much. And then, you know, then Scotty moved to Philly and, you know, like, hey, man, you want to come over and kind of like fuck around with a couple of these ideas? And then that kind of started to get some of the songs in shape and, and whittle down the list. You know, it's like, okay, maybe not 15. Let's get it down to 12. And then it was, you know, and then, uh, and then like uh, Steve came back to Philly. He was living in LA. Uh, he came back to Philly for like, I think actually we might've just flown him out just to hang, you know? And I was like, Hey man, come and like, see what you can do with some of these tunes, you know? And so some more ideas and that kind of just like gave me a better idea of like what songs work and what don't, you know? Um, and then Holly and I had met up and, you know, she played me some of her, those the ideas that she had and we kind of went through those things. Um, so by the time we got into the studio, there was, you know, 11, or 12 songs that we were like, okay, these, this is what we're going to work on, you know? And, uh, and I think the, the slow build process into be leading into going into the studio. Uh, I think people, I gave people a reason to trust me, you know, I was like, look at where we're at. Look at these songs, where these songs are right now. This is all quality material. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like a first record. It sounds like, well, it's, it's my fucking ninth or whatever. You know right. I mean? There's interesting. You know, I mean, like, way to know, look at that. Yeah. You know I mean? Like that's reality. That and, is. Yeah. And that's, and that's a challenge. That's a, a real fucking challenge, uh, on my part because rain has never made a full length record. Holly's never been in a original band situation yeah. at all. 
you know, uh, Scotty's been in and out and around, but you know, he's he's not a writer necessarily at, at all. You know, he's a Scott's an incredible talent and a and a, a great member of a band. You know, but uh, but not a lot of writing or record making experience. You know, yeah. Steve uh, was a like I said, he was a great talent and a, and a very good producer. So he was, you know, he, he was in the, on, on where I, where I was at, but you know, there's a lot of mistakes people make with like their first, you know, your first records sometimes are dog shit unless you have a great team or unless you're fucking, you know, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Know? And I think a lot of bands, you know, before they ever get into the studio, you know, they, they play, right. They play they, a lot. There's they, a, there's a whole, list of shit that usually happens and like pitfalls that bands are going to go through when they first become a band right you know at the time i was 38 years old and i'm not doing that you know i'm not redoing all these lessons i've already fucking learned twice you know with brothers past and with american babies i know the things to avoid, you know, yeah. and like, and the cliches to avoid. Which and is, you, you probably also had a good handle on sort of the next step of things, which is taking these tunes out and playing them live, you know, which is a, yeah. another whole other thing, whole other thing. Yeah. And, and so you guys, the band is sort of born in the studio. Yeah. And, and then you got to go learn how to play these things on stage. And well, you know, that was the that was the the part I was the least concerned about. You know, I because I mean, Scotty's was you know he was in Dopapod. He's a you know he's a jammer. You know, mm-hmm. he's in seen Holly, obviously. You know, uh, Steve was a, I mean, yeah, was also just a, a fucking virtuoso as far as just improvising and all that stuff. And Rain and I had been playing together for three years, so yeah. you know we had we already had a chemistry. So like, as far as like the 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 live thing i wasn't worried about that at all i was like no this is gonna be a fucking powerhouse when it comes to that shit but there's the thing of you put five swinging dicks in a room <laughs> if no one knows how to fucking write a song it doesn't matter mm-hmm. right so i didn't want it to be that and that was so it was like you know every once in a while we would like open it up in the studio just to like just kind of stretch our legs and make sure that we can do it but the focus was on the songs because it's like look man this is not going to be a jam band yeah where it's just like hey well yeah we just got in a room just do it together and we have a song about fucking dragons or whatever like <laughs> is that what jam band i mean i don't like? know but you know what i mean just like it's not gonna there's not this is not gonna be a thing where there's throwaway songs there were vehicles for jams it's like this is we're gonna be a fucking band that improvises not an improvising band you yeah know what i mean like there's a fucking difference well and right? i i feel like Probably a lot of that has to do with you as a producer and seeing the big picture right. and and understanding you know all these things that we've been talking about. But the record is such a success in terms of combining a pretty disparate you know group of elements and that I love. Yeah, you know, it's a, that, it, it casts a wide net. Now, it casts a wide know? net, and it, you know you guys are a rock band. One minute, you know, next minute you're sort of this ambient sound, you yeah. know, really stripped down, super dynamic. The instrumentation is really cool and unique. And, um, I remember when we were up at the borderlands festival in, um, upstate oh, New York, like Buffalo or something. It, right? yeah, 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 yeah. We were, we were getting ready to go on stage. We did a set with O'Teal and um, oh, yeah. Keller. Yeah. And this band is like raging, and we're like, "What? Who is that?" Ghostlight, yes. uh, you yeah. know. And it, and it was it was interesting to go then 
because I hadn't really checked out the record at that point. Yeah. And then to dig into the record, and man, it's like, you know, the dynamic, you know, range is from 0.01 to like 10 out of 10. Yeah. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't necessarily what I was expecting, having heard you guys live. And granted, I didn't get to take in the whole show, but it was like, man, this thing is rocking. Yeah. You know, really really translating really well and it was really cool in that live environment dude well you know and it comes back to uh, you know it always comes back to the dead in some way i guess you know but like the thing that was uh that really drove me in in the mission statement of putting the band together was like you know you you have ideas about like what people think or how they are when you're listening to bands or whatever you know and then you know but like getting to know the dudes in the, in the dead and, and to play with them, uh, and realizing that like, yeah, man, the fucking song that is still, that's the the most important thing. It always was to those guys. It was about the songs, man. If the song isn't there, none of the other shit matters, you know? And like, and even, even to take that a step further, you know, if you, if you think about artists that stand the test of time, there's only one reason that that happens yeah. and that's, and that's songs. And 100%. it's interesting to think about that in today's music climate, because, you know, you've got electronic music raging, you know, you've got sort of the whole decline of the recording industry. Yeah. So like some people these days are like, should I even make an album? Yeah. You know, but all of that stuff is going, I think to sort of, fade as a trend and it will always circle back to the songs and that's what's gonna make artists relevant over a long period of time buddy i hope you're right you know know, i a friend of mine's band they're you know they're fucking they're a great band a popular band uh you know and i was i was hanging out with with one of the dudes the other day and i was just you know talking about oh you guys gonna make a new record or whatever he's like you know the you know the primary songwriters uh they don't really think it matters anymore to make an an album yeah, song like, songs. like it still matters to record music but yeah, they just don't care there's like you know what no one people are coming to our shows they want to hear they want to hear what you know shit from our our four previous records they're, they're just jaded you know they're, so they've got a, they've got a catalog and yeah, they're just I mean, like yeah, they're, because of the way things are yeah. with streaming etc disposable and all this okay but do you doubt that i mean do you doubt the fact that i don't care i don't give a fuck um, you know, like I, I think it's not a, you know, it's not a choice. I, you know, I don't get to pick that. That's not a thing. I don't get to say, I don't want to do that. Like I have to do that. It's a vocation. It's yeah. not a, it's not like, oh, I want to do it. It was never even, dude, I never thought I would make a fucking penny from playing music. It wasn't about that. That's not, who cares? Yeah. It's about creating something that wasn't there before, you know, and that's always been the fucking thing. You know, I'm very fortunate to have the life I have now. But, you know, five years ago, dude, I was a fucking plumber who couldn't pay my rent. And I was fine with it, you know, because I was playing music. I was still writing records and putting myself in debt just to make an album, you know, like because I had to do it. Yep. You know, like that's the thing. Well, I, I, yeah, it's not a business decision. No, but I, I think personally, I believe really strongly that it's all going to circle back around because, you know, and and if you look at like, for example, um, you know, as people get older, their tastes change and it music these days is, is a a sort of this 
wide swath of the live experience and all these different, you know, interactive ways that bands are engaging their fans because, you know, you don't necessarily make a lot of money off your albums these days. So you got to figure out how to monetize this attention. But down the line, you know, I think, and, and there's just a lot of good proof to it already, you know, Bruce Springsteen, Neil Young, Absolutely, like man. this, the Stones. This is the stuff that people yeah. will always be listening to. You yeah. know, the Beatles are never going out of style. You know, and so isn't that amazing? It is. It I, is. Did you, did you I come back the, to it myself. You know, did you see the Hard Days Night or is that what it's called? Or no, Eight Days a Week. It was the the Ron Howard documentary. That, oh, yeah, it was yeah, about yeah. the touring years. Yeah, it, yeah. It, oh, it, yeah. It only it stopped at Sgt. Pepper. That's right. Yeah. You know, I watched that thing and it made me realize, well, A, I never, I, it, that was the first time anybody uh, really fully explained just how, just how popular that band was. Yeah. Like, there's never been anything like that, like right. even close. Yeah. Six that. years. That's it. I mean, yeah. W- I mean, it took us yeah, six years to see if we even had a room full of fans. Yeah. And it's like that for most bands out there these days. Well, now, yeah. Yeah. But, dude, we're all just chasing that. That's all any, that's the, there's an entire music and there's an entire industry that all they're doing is chasing the success of the Beatles. That's it. That's all. That's all. That's all we're all doing is, is trying to affect the world like they did. Yeah. You know, like, like that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like the, those, what they did is so untouchable you know what I mean they're the Wayne Gretzky of fucking you know it's like it's just like they're they they're just the best and like you know I don't know sometimes I that's sometimes where I think about like fucking packing it in or <laughs> like I listen I listen to like yeah I'll just listen to the fucking Beatles records and I'm just like what's the fucking point I've been coming back like, to Revolver a yeah, lot man that's just, just epic fucking I mean they're all they and yeah I have periods where one sort of filters to the yeah, top. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the early shit, man, you know, like just like meet the Beatles. I'm yeah. Just, oh my God. Fuck, know. you know, like I, I, I was, I, I saw the Ron Howard doc and I, I knew sort of the timeline and how things laid out, but so crazy. Like when they're playing in Mets Shea stadium yeah. in New York and the sound is literally broadcasting over the PA address, you know, that, so instead of, you know, now batting, yeah. you know, number five, it's like the Beatles coming out yeah, through and, this dog shit. Oh, it's so bad. System. And and you hear the guys talk about it. And meanwhile, you know, so they were ahead of their time in terms of basically everything, but yeah. in, in terms of performing on that large scale, you know, and then that's done and they just continue to crank out, the best Epic shit ever records yeah just the best shit ever you know like oh uh, yeah it's really you know it's it's one of those things where it's like fuck yeah why does anybody bother you know, <laughs> after after that you know it's like their perfection has been reached now i gotta i gotta ask yeah. before we wrap up just a little bit about j-rad oh, I'm, yeah, dude. I'm, I'm i'm so curious i don't need to wrap up <laughs> i'll talk as long as you want to go um this is great, man. I love I love hearing your perspective on all this stuff, especially after having listened to the music so much, you know, because I, I hear all that and, you know, Ghostlight and a real success of production in terms of bringing all this stuff together. But I think, you know, the J-Rat thing is so interesting, and I've always been curious, you know, when you guys set out to do this thing. We didn't. What? Yeah, okay, so I was going to ask, what did you think was, there, we didn't, was the end game? We did, so how there did was it, no... Endgame. So you just got together to play Joe some... Was, Joe was in further with Bob and Phil. Sure. Um, and 
he had j- joked about, you know, I mean, I so like of uh, all the crew, the JRAD guys, I was the only person that like liked the dead prior to JRAD. You know, like Marco and, and Scott and Dave. I mean, you know, they all knew who the dead were, but they didn't like, they weren't fans. You know, they weren't deadheads. You know, I grew up on this shit. I mean, okay. I've, I've been. I've been doing what I'm doing in JRAD since I was 12, like in bars with my brother, you know, like that's just, you know, so like Joe and I would always talk about the, you know, the music and stuff like that. You know I mean? Like when he got the gig and he dove into the catalog, he was just like, dude, I can't believe how good this shit is. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was, you know, he, you know, it's, he really loves him to the club. Yeah. I mean, he just yeah. loves it. And it was, it was, you know, it was great. And we were able to talk about it. And uh, so like, you know, we definitely would joke about like, dude, we should do a gig sometime where we play, you know, play, play that music. Um, which he was always kind of just like, eh, you know, like whatever. Um, you know, he's like, he's just like smart like that and like deliberate, you know? Um, there's a thing, the New York freaks, uh, it's like a, a group of mu- music fans in New York and they put together this weekend of concerts every year at Brooklyn bowl, um, called the freaks ball. Somebody was supposed to headline one of the nights, and they had to cancel and they reached out to Joe and were like, Hey man, you know, uh, his Led Zeppelin thing, bustle in your hedgerow, which is everybody in J rat except me. They were already playing, I think the Friday night. And, uh, and so somebody reached out to Joe and was just like, Hey dude, do you want to put together something for the Saturday? <clears throat> and you know, it was like, uh, I don't know. So then, you know, we, we, talked about you know he's like hey should we you know should we do a dead thing and we, it was like all right well you know who do we get and we started talking about like all these people and it was just like that you know and joe was just like i'll just get all the the bustle guys because like you know like they're awesome and he you know like there's already a relationship there and it was but it was like a joke you know what i mean it was like he just wanted to play these tunes with the energy and just the way he wanted you know he wanted to do it you know he didn't want to play the songs you know, just to try doing it a different way, like not doing it the, the way Bob or Phil wanted it to be done. And it was, it was a one-time thing that was, (laughs) no, it wasn't. And and even the, (laughs) and even the one time we were just like, just laughing. Like, I can't believe we're doing this. Like, this is fucking ridiculous. But we did the show. And when we walked off stage, looked at each other, like, what the fuck? was that I mean like we like I mean like it was like a real moment of like holy cool. shit and then we listened to it and I was like wow that was <laughs> that was actually pretty good but it didn't but that's not you know Joe had further so there was you know he's like well I can't you know I'm not gonna go play he was basically in the new yeah I'm not gonna that. go play that music sure, with somebody else it. you know um, and also nobody had any fucking interest in it you know I mean like I I was doing American Babies and and I'm sure other shit, uh, you know, um, you know, Marco has his trio. Scott was doing whatever. I mean, Scott's a a fucking all super high in demand fucking session guy in New York. Um, Dave's and ween, you know, we all had our own shit Mm -hmm. and it was just like, you know, whatever, but people kind of freaked the fuck out. And that, and that was in January. And then that whole year we just said, no, Two bunch of offers. Yeah, we're yeah. like, no, we're not a band. What the fuck do you want from us? Like, we're like, you know, this doesn't exist, right? And was some of that like conflict about doing a cover thing exclusively? No, yeah, that's not. 
what any of us wanted want to do. Right. You know, it's not a real thing, you know? Um, so how long was it before you guys actually got back? It was on, a year. A year. Uh, okay. Pretty much. You know, it was the, uh, the, it was the first show was in January and then the next show was in December. And that was like 2013 or 13, 14. But so the guy that owns the bowl also owns the cap, Pete Shapiro. Shapiro. Yeah. And he was like, do one more show, but do it at the cap. We're just like, no, we're not doing a fucking, we're not doing a great for like cover band show in a fucking 2000 seat theater. That's stupid and suicide. Nobody's going to fucking show up. And we're wrong. Yeah, you were. People showed up. <laughs> How was that? Did that show sell out? Yeah. And o- uh, on what grounds? Like, what did? How did people know that you guys? The recordings of okay. that one show circulated. People lost their fucking minds. Yeah, you know. Well, and, uh, it, and it, it's it's crazy to see the the rising tide of the Grateful Dead's influence these last few years. I mean, the, the Grateful yeah. Dead have always been obviously sort of the juggernaut, you know? I yeah, mean, but there was a huge lull for a while. You but know? now yeah. these past few years, no, it's I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I think crazy. since GD 50, it's been, yep. you know, like, but you know, so I mean, at the, and at the time, and then I think, so by the time we did that second show, the, it was, the writing was on the wall that further was ending. Ah, uh, okay. I, and that kind of opened the door. Well, you know, it just was kind of like further was ending, and these songs, you know, uh, Joe believes in that catalog, you know, and really, I mean, that's a part of him, uh, you know. I would say, uh, and that's as far as I'll go as far as speculating on what he thinks, but like, it's also a part of me. You know, I, yeah. I I love that 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 stuff. You know, I mean, I well, and if we're talking about songs, yeah, I mean, like there's archetypal, nothing, legendary, covering all the the great American song. That's right. You know, I mean, it's the soundtrack of a fucking Kerouac. Yeah, book, you know, I mean, like it's and it's, I wasn't. It's interesting because I wasn't necessarily raised on it. I mean, they had always crossed my radar just because how can they not? Sure. Yeah. And you know, String Dusters have been touring for about 14 years now, but as this recent like I was saying, sort of rising tide of of the influence. I think you're right. GD50, um, you know, was was sort of a signifier in that timeline. But um, we started doing Keller Williams' Grateful Grass, and that's actually what that oh. that's what that O'Teal okay. Keller show was at Borderlands. And now it's like everybody knows how to play every Grateful Dead song, and yeah. those songs are fucking hard to play. Yeah, no, it's, I it's mean, the new real book. That's right. You know, it uh, is. It, for, for, it's, you know, the real book for songs. Yeah. You know, that's... Uh, and when it, when, pe- yeah, when strangers come together and play Terrapin, you're just like, what's going on here? Yeah. That's not... Like that everybody, wasn't, everybody's just nailing it. Yeah, yeah it's like, like, like that right, wasn't meant to be, but... That's pretty crazy, you know? But it, it, it again, I think, you know, talk about legendary songs sort of solidifying a band as standing the test of time. And then also the reality that, you know, every band has, and this is gets back to everything you were saying about the whole and the absence, you know, every band at some point that, you know, really comes together and makes something significant is, is putting forth their, their ethos, their philosophy, you know, and that part of it, you know, just, the community vibe, you know, you could see it at, at GD50 and it was like, it was amazing. People were looking, you know, this is a good thing. Let, let's, let's find the right yeah. forum to be a part of this amazing music again. And you guys have been such a huge part of kind of keeping that flame burning. It's, uh, you know, 
well, like you know, I was saying earlier, you know, it's like uh, you know, serving the music, not the other way around. You know, like it's. I think. Yeah, I think these songs are really important, man, and like, and the, the attitude behind them is also really important. You know, like I was saying with the with the dead guys, like there is ego in that band. Oh, yeah. There is like swinging dicks. Like this is we're coming at you. We're doing this thing. We're we are we are going to rip your fucking face off and we're going to make you feel more than you are comfortable feeling. You yeah. Know? And, and, uh, I think when you take that and you run with it in like a, in a very pure way, you know, like I think the reason that people like J rad is because we don't sound, we're not trying to sound like the dead. We don't sound like the grateful dead. If you are expecting that, you're going to be disappointed, you know, like people, I, you know, people definitely talk shit like that, you know, like, well, they, you know, they don't do it for me like the dead did. Well, no shit. There's already the Grateful Dead. We are not trying to do that. We, no one would ever begin to say anything that has to do with us being on par with the Grateful Dead. There's already a Grateful Dead. Yeah. You know, like let them be that thing. They are that thing. We're just trying to, keep the songs alive and relevant in a way that is looking ahead of you, not looking behind you, you know, sure. like, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, like dark star workers. I mean, they're, Hey, they're a great band. What they do is cool, but that what they do is firmly in a rear view mirror, you know, trying like, to sound like the grateful Dead. Well, it's nostalgia and yep. that's, and that's awesome. And that's cool. That serves a purpose. I'm sure those guys are fine people, but like, you know, we go up there and we use those songs as a platform to do what the five of us can do. Uh, and, and, you know, between all of us, we've known each other for 20 years. You know, there's a lot of history there and, and, and it doesn't have to be the, the Grateful Dead's music. You know, we've, we do it with any song, you know, yeah. and like, um, but you know, t- but taking the, the, those songs and and using them to take r- real risks, mm-hmm. and you know, like, you know, I, I, I people don't. There's not a lot of bands that really improvise th- anymore. You know, that like are going out there with no fucking safety net, yep. th- with no plan. You know, with no microphone that talks to each other. That's like, hey, go to A. Here. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what I mean, like that's not fucking improvising. Yeah, you know, like. Be in the moment. Be on that stage. Be looking at your bandmates. Be you know, like communicating. Yeah, and, and, and improvising, improvising as a group, writing songs on the spot. Yeah, you know, not like, hey man, you're going to solo for forty five minutes, no. and then I'm going to solo for forty five minutes, then we're going to pass it to that fucking guy. Then that no, like creating new things. You know yeah. that like where you're listening, where you can put something on in the middle of a jam and be like, I don't know what song this is where it came from or what it's going. This is its own thing and it's a beautiful moment. And then it'll fucking work its way into something. And you're yeah. like, Oh shit. How did we get from there to here? You know? And that's, that's improvising. That's what people loved about that. The improvising aspect of bands like the dead or fish, you know, like those yeah. guys used to really go for some shit right and it's not just one guy improvising right people don't and that's the magic of a band you know i think when when people think of improvising they think of playing a solo right you know and with every successive person that you know if you got just two guys playing music together it's like the music could go anywhere anytime yeah add third fourth person to that mix 
you know, things get a little bit more complicated. But yeah, in theory, it's less malleable. Exactly, you know, there's five it's less dudes on stage. But they just sort of blew that whole convention out the window and and did it just by committing. Yeah. You know, and you can hear it in a lot of the willing the really, participants. And I love that. And that's what you know. And they did that. They learned how to do that in a live environment. And that's, I agree, you know, there's a lot of different conceptions of what improvising is, but when you bring, you know, there's like five of us on stage and that's been my main playing experience. And when you bring everyone to that fold and everyone's improvising together, it's not just about a solo. That's when some real money shit goes exactly. And it's that the greater good, you know, what does this thing right now need, you know, and if what it needs is no fucking guitar, then shut the fuck up. Yeah. And just let the rest of the guys carry the load for a little That's bit. Right. You know, like it's okay to, I mean, it's the, you're, you're playing a, a, a ballad, right? It's super quiet. You're in a real low moment. And then there's one dickhead in the crowd that's like, <laughs> right? Why? Because that guy was so scared of the vulnerability that he was feeling and the silence and what that does don't be don't be afraid to be nothing don't be afraid to be silent and to just not fucking exist for a minute Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to not have that spotlight on you great it's okay yeah you know great advice on music and life in general yeah life in general from tom hamilton man (laughs) write it down thank you thank you so much for doing this today man this this has been awesome i hope it was (laughs) best of luck with everything you're going on man you got a lot of irons in the fire and the ghost light record is tremendous and you know i'm i'm a fan so i look forward to seeing where everything goes man thank you so much thank you yep That's a wrap on episode 10 and also the first season of Inside the Musician's Brain. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Huge thanks to all my great guests this season. Thanks to EMG for helping me get this episode out there today. And also to everyone at Osiris Media for helping me make it happen here at Inside the Musician's Brain. Head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and please pay me a visit anytime on Instagram or also on the Dusters fan page on Facebook. That's Got Dusted. Let me know what you guys are into hearing about, into learning about, and I'll do my best to cover all that in season two. Make sure to check out our playlist on Spotify that's Inside the Musician's Brain, and I'll be adding cool stuff to that while I'm off the airwaves for a minute, regrouping and getting ready for the next season of heady music listening here on Inside the Musician's Brain. I'm Chris Pandolfi, signing off for now. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun.
Thanks for checking it out.